here and three two and one hey trudy welcome to the change creator podcast show how are you doing today i'm good thank you for having me you're welcome um i'm excited to talk about some of the things that you're focused on so uh, before we just get into it i'd love and always like to share some background so if you can just go ahead and let people know kind of like what's going on in your world today and just that little bit of a nutshell of, of what what you're all about yeah so i am a business coach for folks who want to scale their business and um, at the same time, make sure that they're doing it in like equitable and inclusive, diverse ways, making sure that they're really prioritizing their impact and the things that they care about. Um, so that's the kind of work I do. And I do that through, you know, one to one um, consulting, some coaching programs, trainings. Um, so we're a service based business and really working with people at all stages of business. We have folks who are. Uh, right at the beginning of their journeys, wanting to make sure that they um, that they do their business in a way that is super aligned with their values, yeah. um, all the way up through multi-million dollar companies who have been around for a while and are trying to get um, trying to get in alignment, make sure that their business is really truly um, an example for what they actually believe in in the world. Yeah, and I think you know that's just one of these things that's becoming more and more important today to people as they, for gen, like I would say, I want to say generations now have been kind of feeling that burn of doing things that don't align to who they are, right? So it's kind of like percolating more. Do you think? Yeah, I definitely think that that's true. Um, yeah. We yeah. we are. I think especially now that we're in such a place of a social shift. Yeah, where yeah. people are really having to confront some, you know, major, you know, major social issues. And so people are looking at all parts of their lives, not just their business, um, but to see how they yeah. can, you know, be more on alignment. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and I, you know, I've had people come to me and be like, Adam, uh, this is actually of someone on Facebook reached out in a comment. And they're like, do you do you believe that their work life balance could be a, a core value for somebody? And I and I think it's always interesting because there's always been historically those conversations around work life balance and things like that. And I think just to the point of people doing more meaningful work and trying to make a difference in the world. Um, there is no, I always say there's no work-life balance. There's just life and how we choose to live it, <laughs> right? So it's like this one yeah. streamlined thought process. And we were, I don't know, just historically, we kind of like, I guess this through the industrial revolution where we kind of came up and we're, I'm working to, to pay my bills and do this and this is how I do it. And then I have my family life and I have this stuff. And I think that's all kind of falling apart right now. And we're trying to build just a life and that's it. Absolutely. And I think the thing about work-life balance is that we think of, um, I think that the idea of balance elicits this kind of, these images of sameness, of like equalness. So I spend equal amounts of time doing one thing versus another thing. And um, I don't know, I, I don't think that that is a helpful way to think about balance. I think about balance over the course of longer stretches of time, right? So, you know, maybe there's a few weeks or a few months where I have to be working a lot and it feels like I'm, it's in in balance or out of balance. But then maybe there's a, another three month period where I don't have to work as much and I can spend more time with my family. So I think if we stretch the way we think about time, um, that might be helpful <laughs> for folks thinking about like where actual balance can come from. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. 
Um, and it's interesting, uh, you know, and I, I noticed too, like, and, and we'll get into some more of the uh, specific topics that you're focused on in a second. Um, just, you know, as you, I, I don't think enough people are actually clear on what exactly they want. They kind of learn what they need to do and they go through a certain motion. So what I'm trying to say is like, if you write down, I just want to work four days a week. You know, I, I for me, for example, I have a, a, a baby boy, seven months old. It's my first time. We just bought a house. Life has just been flipped upside down several times for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, even before that, my my objective was, at first objective was, I want to stop work by 3 p.m. because I like to, you know, go for a run in the afternoon, do other things, you know. And I, and I started thinking that way. And because I wrote down that that's what I wanted, I started making all these decisions that would help me do that, right? Oh, well, then I better automate this. Oh, then I need a VA for that, right? And you just start doing these things. And then if it's like I want to work four days a week. So anyway, my point is like we – if we don't know what we want, it's like we're just floating and we'd have, we're never going to create these systems and, and ideas uh, to come to life, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think being really clear about what we want is definitely a first step. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and, and that's, and I just always laugh because I'll ask people these things and they go, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm like, you are investing all this money, you're doing all these things. And they're, they never, it sounds so fundamental and basic, but a lot of people are, do not clearly sit down, especially write it down, like what they want, right? Um, so tell me a little bit more just about um, the work you're doing. So how, how do we start helping people uh, with these types of processes? Like what's, what was your approach and, and why has this become so important to you? Yeah, so this has become really important to me because it's really the intersection of so much of my like personal life and my professional work. Um, so I came up through the nonprofit industry, um, working with youth in um, in inner cities, like kids who grew up like I grew up. Yeah. Um, and so I worked in uh, the nonprofit sector, doing a lot of work in schools and, you know, working with students to make sure that they were, you know, graduating and they, they had, you know, that were making good choices and all of those kinds yeah. of things. Um, and through that work, I got really interested in the ways that um, that the systems that play, including nonprofit, nonprofits themselves and school systems themselves were kind of set up to disadvantage people. Um and that kind of led me into work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I spent a lot of time doing that kind of work in schools and nonprofits. Um, while I was doing that, I was also getting a master's degree and working on my PhD in, um, in, in on the similar kinds of themes and really started to understand the ways that, you know, our world is kind of set up in, in ways that privilege some folks and disadvantage other folks. And what it really takes for people, my, my goal was to really understand what what's the difference? Like, what are the things at play that help people have exceptional outcomes, that help people beat the odds? Um, and so uh, I also, <laughs> being in the nonprofit industry, wasn't making a very lot of money, like an, enough <laughs> money to, uh, you know, support myself and my kids. I was a teen mom. Um, I had two kids by the time I was 16. So you know, I needed to make money. It was not that I couldn't like just, you know, get by on a $30,000 a year salary. Um, it just wasn't working out. <laughs> and so um, I needed to, you know, I needed to figure out how to make more money. 
And so I started like side hustling and like listening to podcasts and, you know, like kind of getting into the world of like lifestyle entrepreneurship um, to see what I can do to leverage the skills and experience I had to make extra money. Um, And so I had these like parallel paths of being um, in the nonprofit world and my career kind of accelerated through the nonprofit world into nonprofit leadership. And I was an assistant professor for a while at a local um, university still not making <laughs> enough money to survive yeah. and like side hustling and building a consulting practice on the side. And I realized that the two worlds of like entrepreneurship, particularly lifestyle entrepreneurship, um, you know, online entrepreneurship um, and the the world of the nonprofit had a lot to learn from each other, especially yeah. around um around service and impact and using your business as a force for change. Whereas the, the entrepreneurial world was really kind of, I I felt like it was really self-centered and very white, like (laughs) non-inclusive at all, not diverse at all. Um, And I was like, there's something here. Like I need to figure out a way to start bringing these worlds together. Yeah. And so that's why I got really obsessed with it because I saw business as a way to improve life outcomes and also as a way to, if we can get more people using their business for good, a, a real opportunity to create change in communities. And so that's how I got like really obsessed with this work. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And then in terms of like where to start, it's funny, you know, you're talking about having a vision. That's where I start with all of my clients. Every person that I work with, whether it's a one-on-one client or someone like in a, you know, in a, one of our masterminds, we start with what are your values and what is your vision for your life? You know, like what are the things that you care about? Um, Because if you can get really, really clear about your values and your vision, that becomes the framework for how you make all your other choices. Like forget any other roadmap that anyone's trying to like give you or any other framework. Like if you don't start with your values and your vision, um, you're the risk that you are going to build something that is out of alignment with what you believe is quite high. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, wow. So I, I guess I'm curious. So have you one, I'm curious, like in this type of with this type of work that you want to support people with, um, were you doing B to B? Were you doing B to C? Were you doing both? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, and it was really important for me to do both <laughs> because um I didn't want to get into this pattern of like coaches, coaching, coaches, coaching, coaches, which is yeah. something I talk about a lot. Um, and I think is uh, really a really dangerous pattern. Um, I think that I, I really always wanted to make sure that we were working with um, people, people who were in businesses. So B2B, but also people who were um, who were in who were who the end user, right? Like who were really trying to um, create create shifts in the way that they live. So our programs kind of have, we have like a variety of programs that we offer to make sure that we're, you know, serving people who are in different places. Okay. And, and but um, so your programs when you, and I really want to dig into this for people listening is that when you have an idea like you have an inspiration, obviously this is something meaningful to you and you're going to look at it and say, well, how do I help others? How do I monetize this? Because there's the, one of the things that we have learned through our 
research, talking to a lot of our customers, doing surveys, things like that, is a lot of people struggle to get their business off the ground because it's not that they're not willing to do the work, right? They'll work and do all the stuff they need to do. Um, they also have that that passion for what they want to do, right? So they're very fired up and they're a master of their craft. However, there are business skills. So we do have to figure out yeah. how to get leads, how to do marketing, how to do sales, right? And you <laughs> have to go through these systems for every product that you have. And everybody has a million ideas, a million products, and all these things. So take a step back for us a little bit. How did you start coming up with a plan and say, here's how I'm going to get leads or what ended up working? Like what was, can you give a little, uh, shine a little light on how that worked for you and how you got set up? Yeah. So for, for me, it was really about consistency. Um, I, you gotta understand like Five years ago, I might have been one of the only people, if like one of maybe a handful of people who was talking about diversity in the coaching industry at all. Like there were not, you know. So I was, um, I, I felt like, you know, I, I talked about how I felt like I was screaming for like years, just kind of being like, hey, um, there's a fire in the back of the room. Like, <laughs> come and like pay attention. I'm telling you, this is not, you know, this is a problem. And it just seemed like people were ignoring me like, oh, yeah, you know, like, whatever. <laughs> um, right. Or people would say, yeah, you know, it's important. But, you know, wh what is it going to like what how is it going to um, improve my bottom line? You know, like it was very much of like course. the cost benefit analysis of doing that kind of work. Um, and but I knew that it, it I knew that it was important because I had been working in other industries where people had been paying attention to this issue for years. Yep. Um, and it just hadn't kind of crossed it over yet. So consistency was really important for me. So it was, you know, starting a podcast, even though it felt like nobody was listening and just <laughs> show up, you know, week after week after week, um, writing articles, doing Facebook lives, going to the events, shaking people's hand, just meeting people, telling people what I did over and over and over and over and over. Yep. Um, and little by little, people started to see, um, people started to know who I was. So name recognition, because I literally was just everywhere talking to everybody that I could and, um, and being of service, right? So having a podcast where you're giving massive value for free and, you know, just like that investment of time that you make and money to, I edited our podcast for a year. Yeah. Like I didn't know anything about editing podcasts. But the first year that um, me and my co-host for our show, That's Not How That Works, um, I learned how to edit podcasts and that's that's what I did. And so we would like break down things that were happening in the industry. When something went wrong, I would kind of like, you know, write a blog about why it was a problem and what could have done what we could have done better and how it could have been handled. Um so people really started to trust me. You know, it's that whole like trust, you know, no like trust. No like <laughs> trust, yeah. <laughs> And um, so I got to say, so consistency was the very first, the very first thing, um, because by the time and now, you know, maybe I would say two, two years ago when people started to really kind of wake up, um, I had had a, you know, a 50 or 60 podcast episodes by that time that were like banked waiting for people to go and like listen to and all yeah. kinds of articles and a course that people could take, you know, so being consistent and resisting the urge to shift, you know, to kind of say, oh, nobody's listening to this. Maybe I should do this or maybe I should do that. Or yeah. maybe, 
you know, because and I get the urge for that, especially when you have to make money um, to just keep trying to to make changes. So I always tell folks like tinker with your idea, but don't completely shift it. Like stay stay with the one thing um, that, you know, is, you know, if you have that instinct, um, just stick with it and, and keep showing up for it. And so that meant, you know, that I was taking consulting gigs on the side that were, um, you know, like in stuff that I didn't really want to be doing, but that we're going to pay the bills. Yeah. You, know? you got to pay the bills uh, until everything else yeah, is going. Yeah. It, you know, and so I did that, but, but that's what allowed me to have the time to, to build the business the way that I wanted to build it. Um, because if you put too much pressure on your business to work overnight, uh, you'll suffocate it and it can't grow and you'll end up with something that you don't want. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's I, I would say that that's the most important thing, that consistency um, and space and giving it time to breathe um, are critical. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people miss that point that you just made, which is, you know, sometimes, well, most times <laughs> you got to straddle two worlds, meaning, yes, you're doing work that maybe you're not super interested in. You're hustling on Upwork or who the hell knows what to get some kind of consulting gigs, make a couple dollars, gives you the flexibility. And, you know, that's that. And there, and, you know, I hear a lot of, I don't have time. Um, but it's funny how people like yourself and others always find ways to make the time when it's important. Right. Yeah. And just like, just for super transparency and clarity, right? Like the, the deal was, you know, I, I worked full time while I was building my business. I, I incorporated my business in 2013. Um, so yeah, I was working full time and kind of side hustling. Then maybe six years ago, I left work full time and was running the business, but, but doing a, a good deal of of subcontracting work for like national consulting firms around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so, you know, I said I was consulting on the side, but that was bringing in like $80,000 a year. So it's, it was, it was work. It was like full-time consulting, um, which meant that, you know, the, I was editing my podcast at midnight sometimes. And, you know, like, that's just what, that's just (laughs) what wasn't desirable, but, um, you know, it, I was committed. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And I always, you know, like I remember years ago when I had some one of my some of my earlier interviews, I was talking to Joel Brown. I was like, is it true? Like, because I had somebody close to me. It was like, yeah, you know, I got the kids now and this and that. And I really want to do this, but I just don't have the time. And in my mind, I was always the kind of person that like when I get an idea, like, dude, I don't care what the time is. Like, I'm I'll figure out something <laughs> like I'm not you're not going to stop me. And I'm like, so, Joel, like, is there such thing as not having time? And he's like, unfortunately, people like a lot of times they will make excuses instead of making the time. And, you know, like we always like I was traveling from Philly to New York for years because I was still working at WebMD and doing all that stuff while trying to figure things out. I had to wake up at three and four in the morning. So I had to make additional hours in the day in order to do something new because you can't just stop what you're doing originally and replace it right away. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that, you know, what, what I always encourage people to do is get is really settle into your choices. Right. And so what I mean by that is that the the I don't have the time reason. Right. I don't like the word excuse, but the reason I don't have a lot of time is in is kind of an incomplete reason. And so what I ask people to consider is, um, you know, if you say I don't have the time, com- complete that thought. So maybe it's like I'll give you an example. So. I really, I have completed all of my coursework for my PhD. 
I need to write a dissertation. I don't have the time to write a dissertation and invest the time required for that dissertation to be excellent and run my business and spend time with my family the way that I want to and, you know, and like shower regularly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't have time for all of those things. That's a complete, you know, that that is real. I can I can put that on a chart and show you that that's, even if I wake up early in the morning, it's all not going to get done at the quality that I am comfortable with. Uh-huh. Right. So the time is I could do it. It not nothing would be getting done excellently. You know what I mean? Sure, of course. So so I settled into the idea that like I'm gonna wait on the dissertation. Right. And so that's just my choice. I'm not gonna like like I don't have the time to do it. It's like, oh I, I don't have the time to do it to the to the degree that I want to be able to do it. So I'm gonna wait. So you prioritized. And, like lean into those like complete, you know, com- like complete reasons, then your system can settle and you can be like, it's just just not for right now, you know? Right. You so you prioritize, good. right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um I you know, I I can see that and I my only challenge on it would be if something's really important, I guess you prioritize based on the importance, right? So right. whatever's right. most important to you, you find ways to make time because it's important to you. And if you have three things, and to your point, I get it. I mean, there's obviously, like, if I had to, you know, write several articles a week, I'd be like, you know what, I definitely don't have time. And if I did it, I would be doing some pretty crappy articles, you know? So then you look at that and say, well, is this a priority or not? (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's it's tough, man, because these conversations always come up because so many entrepreneurs, you know, you're helping entrepreneurs, we're helping entrepreneurs in our own ways. And you hear these things all the time, overwhelm, stress, not sure what to do and all this stuff. So it's really finding ways to just think about these things and, and prioritize, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So um, tell me a little bit about, um, I guess, you know, before you work with someone and after, like, what does that transition look like for people? Um, so usually folks, the majority of folks who come to work with us have been through some kind of coaching program or um, they've been in business for a while and they've learned some strategies and techniques that um, that they don't feel good to them anymore yeah. or they look at their business and they go, oh, snap, like all of my clients or 95% of my clients are white. Like, how did that happen? Uh, that's not, you know, I, I would prefer to have a diverse community like this. I don't understand. Like, I don't know, you know, how did I do that? Um, and so they come to us because they want to learn how they want to get additional skills to learn how to scale to do it in a way that's aligned with their work, with their vision, with their values that, you know, is really prioritizing equity, diversity, inclusion, anti-racism, that they want those things to be very active parts of their business, not just like, not intentions, but but like really, you know, like really clear components of their business. Yeah. Um, And so they come and they work with us, you know, for a range of either six months or 12 months. And then they, we, we keep our folks in our community. So when people come and work with us, they don't like come and work with us for six months and then leave. They come and they stay in our community. We have a community called um, the Equity Centered Coaching Collective. And so anyone who comes through our programs 
um, stays in that membership forever um, at no additional charge. And um, they continue to have a place, we call the collective like a gym for your equity work. It's like a, it's a place where people can come and um, really build a practice around diversity, equity, and inclusion in their business. Um, and so they stay and they kind of, um, and that's something that we recently rolled out that we're super proud of yeah. um, because we wanted to keep our community uh, tight. And um, it's just really important to have other people, like a community to talk to about these things because these are the kinds of things, you know, talking about race, talking about diversity, talking about privilege and oppression. Those are things that are super uncomfortable for people. Yeah. But if we're going to start solving those problems and using our businesses to solve some of those problems. We need to be talking about it. And so having a safe place to talk about it where you know that other people share your values and have like a shared language is like critically important um, to entrepreneurs who want to continue to do that work ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they stay in our community, which is great. Um, and then for after... Um, you know, sometimes people want to work with us one-on-one and do intensives and things like that, but it's really, it, for, for us, people have to kind of go through some of our foundational work before they can kind of move into uh, intensive work or more one-on-one stuff. Got it. Yeah. And that's pretty cool that you get people to stay in it. So how do you manage that? Commu- I mean, just out of curiosity for my own sake, I'm curious if you have people like you're building up. And let's say the community is, so it's a conversational community. You don't have, you're not like hands-on coaching or training or doing anything there, but it is a safe place to have these conversations. That's, that's what I'm hearing, right? It's, it's actually a guided learning community. So, um, so it's a little bit of both. It's, uh, we're doing, we're not doing coaching. We are doing, uh, we're doing some training in there. We are giving people, um, every month we release like a, a learning guide so people can kind of go through the resources, they can ask questions, they can uh, reflect on, you know, the different things that we've shared for them. Um, And then, yeah, and then they can like have conversations like in, you know, in in the community itself. So, but we have, you know, we have a team. So I have a full-time coach, a part-time community facilitator, I have, you know, the operations person. So we, we have, have a pretty robust team to kind of manage uh, all the clients that we work with. Got it. Got it. And I'm curious on what your take is. Uh, I, I heard recently, I know, and, and this is like a sensitive topic and, you know, uh, having workplace equality and all these different topics that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy who went on the news. God, I'm trying to remember his name, but very, uh, um, academic background, very significant, PhD, this, that, he's, and he is a black guy. Um, he's older now. He's been doing stuff for a long time. And he comes out, you know, and he and think he's doing more harm than good because he came out and he's like on Fox News or whatever news station. Mm-hmm. And he's saying there is no such thing as systemic racism. Yeah. Have you heard that? that? Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, that's all. I mean, that he's there's there's a couple people out there talking about that nonsense. It, it is a lie. Um, and I here is here is a fact, right? Uh, right now, today, and for and and in forever, like in our history, right? In the past, we can we can accurately predict someone's life outcomes by their race and their zip code. Yeah. So with no additional information, 
race and zip code, we can make really accurate predictions about, um, let's say, for example, someone's educational attainment or someone's socioeconomic status. Um, we can predict health outcomes. We can predict the likelihood that someone's going to go to college or just any any number of things, yeah. right? That, that is impossible to do if we're only accounting for like ethnicity. There is no reason, um, there's no like biological reason for us to be able to make those kinds of predictions. The only reason that we can do that is because this because of systemic racism, right. because the structures in the world, um, in, in our that you know have a major influence over how we live day to day, um, break down against color lines, like ba- break down against race, like the, the your access to um, quality education or to safe ha- like safe place to live and to places. Um, that don't have, you know, environmental hazards, for example. <laughs> right. um, like th- that, that's all a system that is, that is, pre- that has been predetermined, um, which is why we can drive through neighborhoods and look at maps and see where the, where the communities were, where black people, black and brown folks could not buy property, right. you know, because it was a law that they couldn't buy property there it was written into deeds that people of color couldn't live in certain places. That's, that's systemic racism. We, it's and we still live, even though those things are illegal now, like they're illegal. We can't like write those things up, but the, the systems that are at play still kind of maintain those old school laws. Like we don't need the law anymore because we have all of the structures and the, the, we have other ways to marginalize people. So the idea that, that there's no such thing as systemic racism is just, it's a, it's a lie. There's no evidence for that. Um, no, but there's a ton of evidence otherwise, you know, I yeah, mean, you absolutely. can sit here and go through history and watch the, um, progression of, you know, creating laws and all the policies and different yeah. things that have changed over time. And there was just a significant, um, you know, bias, obviously, that made things difficult for, you know, like you say, black and brown people and things like that. And that's because it was coming from a time where we had those biases. <laughs> it's like, exactly. they weren't there to make it easier for them. They were just, they were, they were going, leaning into what the law says, but certainly not making it any easier. And um, I don't right. know how that someone can come on with a straight face, especially a black guy, and they come up and they say these things. And, you know, now that's the one thing, you know, we have our, you know, not to get political, we'll switch switch off this, but it is important. And it's like, you see these, these things happening and you have to scratch your head because now you have all these people who that's the one person they say, oh, well, see, I told you, I told yeah. you. And now that's the only thing they'll lean on is that, oh, he's so credible and amazing and he said it. So it's real. Right. No. Yeah. There, there's no, we have to be more discerning. We have to like, look at the evidence. We have to just look around us at our day-to-day lives and ask ourselves, look, why, why are there communities and schools where there are only white kids or 96% white kids? Like, why is that? Like, that's not because black and brown folks don't want to send their kids to that school. It's because they don't live in that community because at one point they legally couldn't live there. (laughs) And now, and then after that they were, 
you know, um, they were priced out and unable to get mortgages. And, you know, like there's just so many reasons historically for, for that to happen. Um, it, I don't know how anyone can, um, you know, can say that that's not real oh it just drives me crazy i'm like even if you heard this guy go up there and lie i'm just like you've got to be able to think for yourself (laughs) i mean geez dude like come on anyway so you know i've literally one of our mentors like i mentioned that you know she um you know came up and she did a whole talk to everybody who was in her master class that we were in and stuff and she was just like She's like, I wouldn't be able to make changes in my business myself because she's like, there's things that I have no idea, right? And she literally brings someone in as a consultant to help understand and retrain the way we think about business and how to be more supportive and equitable, have a greater um, equality between people and stuff. So it is not a simple thing. And there's a lot of things I think that happen that, we're unconscious to like we don't even know you know what i mean like it would just it has to be pointed out absolutely absolutely it has to be pointed out um and it you and you have to do the work it's not like a checklist of things that you just kind of do like oh like make sure that there's you know more diversity on my website and that's going to solve the problem like that's not the problem there are other things <laughs> you know yeah. Like it, it's really just like with anything in business, like there's the internal game and then the external game. And you really yeah. have to be, you know, committed to the internal work and getting, you know, being prepared to hold the responsibility for, you know, leading a diverse community, leading a diverse team, um, standing up for people, you know, um, making sure that you stand against racism and oppression. You know, there's there's internal work that has to be done yeah. in order for you to be prepared to do that. Absolutely. Um, so tell everyone, what are the ways you are supporting companies today? I'm sure you started somewhere, you're kind of consulting, doing things. Where are you now? Like, do you have, are you just working hands on with people? Do you have courses, trainings, like what's out there for people today? Yeah. So for the the one thing that we have that we're really most excited about is that equity centered um, coaching collective, which I referred to earlier, that is opened um, to anyone who's interested in starting this journey, who just kind of is may, might be a little new, or who um, are working with other coaches and want, um, or like business coaching and and just want the the equity uh, perspective, like who want to come to a place to just start supplementing their business education by getting some of this um, equity centered coaching skill. And so uh, we that is like a membership program. It's a year long membership um, and people can sign up for that anytime. And like I said, it's a guided learning uh, community. We do coaching in there, live streams. We release um, uh, learning materials every month. Um, then we have a mastermind that we op- we and welcome a cohort a couple times a year. That's called the Amplified Impact Mastermind. And that is for folks who want a little bit more of um, step-by-step coaching to get some of this work done, to make sure that you're scaling for social impact, that you're looking at the way that you sell, you're looking at all aspects of your business, the way that you build a team, the way that you sell, your offers, your marketing, it's it's kind of like that next step. Um, And then we have some, um, you know, limited one-to-one coaching and consulting available. And next year I'll be, uh, working with a friend of mine, Elizabeth D'Alto, and we'll be 
teaching a hybrid mastermind for folks who have been in business for a while who are leading bigger businesses and want to do this work, um, you know, with their, with their teams and really start to heal some old business patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And what's the best place URL or whatever for people to find you? Yeah. So folks should come and hang out with me on Instagram where I'm hanging out more these days. Um, so Instagram, just at Trudy Lebrun. Um, I'm Trudy with an I. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram. And um, my website is just www.trudylebrun.com. Awesome. Appreciate it, Trudy. Um, I appreciate you bringing this work to the table for people. And I think it's just such a positive step for the evolution of business and just how we think about and approach business. Um, you know, we are pushing people to think about business in a way that's meaningful to others and protecting the planet. And you're bringing just this whole other level of important um, meaning to business as well, which I love. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again for your time today. We'll, uh, we'll talk again, uh, another time. All right. Take care. Thanks. All right. Take care now. Bye-bye.